my name is Ali Parsa. I'm the managing partner of Circle. Let me start by, I guess, addressing the very important question Chris asked Patrick, which is, well, a lot of what you talk about, Patrick, is about good leadership. So why does ownership matter? I think it's a very fundamental question because a lot of what we do in employee-owned organizations is about leadership. But ownership does matter because ownership matters not about the way you run your business, but about who controls the business, who owns it. We live in an Anglo-Saxon economic system that tells us that it either an organization either needs to be owned by the government or it needs to be owned by the capital. Fundamentally, that's where it is. And the political reflection of this is that we have political parties who are bipolar on the left or the right. Why is that? Can anybody give me a good reason why the government, and think about what is the government. Fundamentally, the power relies in the hands of one single individual who often has never run or led anything at the very top as minister who changes every couple of years, should own something. Now, for those of you who think actually that's a natural order of things, remember the largest restaurant company in Britain in 1946 was the British Restaurant Company. It was owned by the government and it ran restaurants across the country. The biggest privatization that Ted Heath did in the 70s was the privatization of six pubs in England. The other question is why should the capital own anything? Who is the capital? Bunch of people who say that the pyramid of this capital structure, private equity managers or managers of financial institutions, who again often have never led or run anything in their lives, who need to be running something. Why? So why ownership matters? Because it gives control to those who are closest to the customer and allow them to run their business, their affairs, the way they believe is best for their customer. We came to healthcare not because we care about bureaucracy, not because we care about capital. We came to healthcare because we care about our patient. And it is only natural, therefore, I argue, that those who are closest to the patient should be given the control to deliver the services the way they think is best for their patients. So with that thesis, I kind of now want to go on, on and say that I, the good news and the bad news in my view. The good news is we have never been in a place before in our history, at least in the last 30 years, at least my working history, that we've had so much political wind behind us. You absolutely and very correctly argued that Labour, liberals, and conservatives are, have all now caught the bug. They all talk about employee ownership. Andrew Lansley will put it in his white paper. I don't think there is any question on it. Some of us have been consulted on it. You all know it's going to be on it. There is no question that's going to be there. Labour, on the other hand, has put it on their manifesto. Liberals are all behind it. I think uh, Norman Lamb, when he was the spokesperson of liberals for the for healthcare, used to say that he's passionate. He doesn't just like employee ownership, he's passionate about it. So we know that never before, since, since I guess in my career or in my life, we've had so much people standing behind this on the wake of an election with the government in full force to go and deliver what they need to deliver. And yet at the same time, that puts a massive degree of responsibility on those of us who believe in employee ownership, not as a model of ownership, but actually as a cause. To me, employee ownership is not just another way of delivering something. I'm passionate about it. I believe that nobody else should own the way I treat my patients, than me and my partners, and those who are closest to it. The danger in here, of course, so the bad news, of course, is that this responsibility is a very big one. And remember the last time when employee ownership became fashion. Back in the 70s, 
when Tony Benn was the Secretary of State for Industry. It became highly fashionable, and they rushed it through, and they made all sorts of organizations like Triumph become employee-owned, and they almost, without exception, failed. And as a result, what you had was 20 to 30 years of employee ownership as a concept going into the town. Nobody would touch it. It's for hippies. It's a cooperative movement. <laughs> we don't want it. And we're coming back. And we're coming back, so this time, we have to be extremely careful. And some of the debates I hear around employee ownership reflects to me exactly the same kind of stuff that you could read that happened back in the 70s. Now, we need to also be very careful to understand that while there was massive examples of failures of employee ownership, there are also significant examples of success of employee ownership. What is, in Britain, our most successful sector of industry? Is it manufacturing? I was going to say it's a retail, but it is true, it is retail. <laughs> we are a nation of shoppers. We are a It certainly is a food that's in France, right? So, but it is professional services. Actually, if you look at the sectors of our economy, professional services is, is one of the most competitive in the, the sectors of our economy. Done phenomenally. Our architects, our advertising companies, our creative agencies, our investment institutions, uh, management consultants do phenomenally well. They're global leaders. And yet that is a sector that is predominantly a partner. I was just talking to Jennifer, a management consultancy firm, partnership. McKinsey, a partnership. Goldman Sachs, a partnership. Every hedge fund in the country, almost a partnership. Every private equity firm, a partnership. Richard Rogers runs his business as a partnership. So did Norman Foster until he sold out to some private equity firm. But the, use of, but the, the partners are still majority owner. So actually, there is a fantastic example of the most successful sector of the British economy that is a partnership. So why is it that some partnerships are so successful? And by the way, I do not like the term employee ownership partly because of what it, it is. We use the term partnership, but it's, it's a debate what, what you want. It doesn't really matter. But a partnership is exactly what it implies. So why is it that some partnerships are so successful and some have been such failures? We spent a significant amount of time when we were setting up Circle, thinking through why is it that one works and one didn't work. And we came up with three simple conclusions, which I'd like to share with you. So we have, we have three conclusions we came up with. First, you have to leverage the partnership in order to bring in and attract the kind of talents and resources you do not already have. One of the reasons why so many partnerships or employee-owned uh, organizations of the 70s failed was because they became a closed shop. Now, I use examples as of Circle not because I want to promote my organizations, because I think every other organization that is sitting in this platform is doing as well, if not better, and there are lots of other organizations. I just use my company as an example because I know it well. But when we brought in and we wanted to increase productivity in healthcare, we didn't say, okay, which doctor or which nurse can I make the manager? We said, who does productivity better than anybody else in Britain? And we went and asked, actually, investment bank research analysts, who does that? And the answer was a retail sector. Then we said, okay, which company in retail does more productivity gain and why did that happen? The first answer was Patrick's organization, but we couldn't go to Patrick. So then the second answer was, it actually happens in the supply chain. If you think about it, all productivity gain in retail didn't happen in, in the shop front. A lot of it happened in supply chain, just in time delivery of goods to the shops. So then we asked, who does supply chain better than others? And the answer wasn't Tesco. 
it was actually Argos. So then I went and I made my job to become the best friend with head of operations in Argos, head of logistics in Austria, head of supply chain, and head of financial support and financial operations. And I hired them all into service. When we were building hospitals and wanted to build them, we didn't say which doctor can I put in charge of building hospitals. Again, I asked who builds more on time, in more volume, and more on budget. And this time, the answer was Tesco. So I went to hire the head of property at Tesco. He said, sorry, Ali, I've just gone to Sainsbury's. I can't join you. So I hired... <laughs> So, so I hired his head of construction, his head of development, his head of procurement, and his head of plan. So think about it. You, we use an existing thing in order to bring others in. And then we need a lot of money. In circle for us to do what we need to do, put 25 hospitals across the country, da, 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 da. We need about two billion pounds worth of money. Again, we didn't say, well, which partner can chip in some money in? We went and attracted some of the most influential financial institutions in the world to come and help us. Number one, hedge fund in the Europe for the last five years, year after year, has been Lansdowne, our first investors. Because why? Because we knew they were trendsetters. The largest investment organization in the world is BlackRock. Again, our investor, our last investor, because it took us to bring trendsetters. And we had a program of saying we need capital and we need to bring it from somewhere, so we need to leverage our partnership. So my first lesson in this has been that don't keep it closed, open it up, accept where you're good at, and accept that where you need help in, bring them in and help them and uh, integrate them. Resource, be it talent or capital. Second was that you need to use the democratic structure of ownership to create a democratic structure of management. Far too many employee-owned organizations only become, replace one leadership with another. But they're still not democratic. What you call engagement is still not there. It is very important, and, I ha and that is the toughest part. I had a debate this morning with my leadership. We said, look, guys, we've created a phenomenal, and by the way, guys, I mean it in uh, the American terms, which is men and women at the same time. So we created a phenomenal leadership team. We created a phenomenal structure that give the powers down to the clinical units, and yet still, the power sits with the leader. Fascinating. Chief Operating Officer of Goldman Sachs is a position they can never fill. Why? Because it's by far the least powerful position in the investment bank. The power leads with the, those partners who are at the forefront of working with their customers <coughs> and working with them directly. Doesn't lie with the guys who sit in the central office and manage or supposed to be. In a law firm, the best paid lawyers are the ones who are working with the, the architects. The best paid architects are the ones who are at the front. The power sits with them. It does not seep with the people who sit on the top. So in our organization even, we needed to go back and tell all our people, and I kind of had an emergency kind of fit, just because I'm going on holiday, so it's good to stir things away and then go on holiday. I'm going on Saturday, so I just told, we called our entire team on, on Friday into our office just to say to them, actually, you know what? We need to give the power even further down. Your questions you were asking on earlier, which I thought was a really great question, is does the part-timer on the front desk feels like they're an owner? Or do the managers or manager's manager feel they're an owner? And when I go to, I spend a lot of my time going to our hospitals and sitting in the coffee shop and buying people coffee because the best investment I find the chief executive can ever do is buy his staff coffee. It's like phenomenal how much people will tell you about how they feel about their day-to-day -day over a cup of coffee. Right? The bad side of this is that you end up in the toilet a lot because you don't know this. So if you can get the balance right, it's a really good place. And the third thing, and the final lesson, in my view, 
is that you want to leverage the passion that comes with employee ownership with the ambition to be great. Far, far too often, we live in the mediocrity that, the mediocrity that tells us good enough is good enough. And it just is. You've all read Jim Collins and others who argue that actually the enemy of great is not bad, it's good. You just satisfy yourself. This passion of not being a small organization, of growing, of becoming big, of running the world, needs to be at the ambition needs to be there. Because as you all know, stagnant organizations go down or go up. But living organisms move. They don't stay stagnant. And I think it's, if we learn those three lessons in employee-owned organizations, which is one, use the leverage the partnership to bring new talent and new resources into the organization. Two, leverage the democratic ownership or the structure to make it really democratic, to unleash people's potentials and ideas. Remember why we're doing this in healthcare, because our industry has become unsustainable. To make it sustainable, we need thousands and millions of new ideas. These ideas, they're not gonna come up with bright chief executives or bright leaders or even bright management consultants. It's gonna come from the men and women on the shop floor, on the front line, with tiny little ideas. In order to let them have those ideas, you wanna give them a sense of engagement. To for them to have a sense of engagement, they need to have a sense of ownership. For them to have a sense of ownership, they need to have ownership. Full stop, and nobody can fire me in circle apart from my, my staff. That's why I better be really good to them. And finally, have the, in, leverage the passion to have great ambitions. If we do that, I think employee ownership will work. And if employee ownership works, it doesn't work and fixes the issue in healthcare. It puts our country, which has significant economic and social crisis that is facing it today, in a different place. Sometimes we need to look at ourselves and say, what's the root of our economic and social crisis? I argue is often is because it comes back from the way we divide our economy, where we have disengaged our population from owning what they do and what they are. Between that ownership is only you own your cancel flat or your house. It's not that. You want to have ownership of all aspects of your life. It's not right that the government owns it. It's not right that the capital owns it. It's those who are closest to their people should own it. On that chair, I sit down. Thank you. <laughs>